got is drugs and advice. Smoke up, we can talk about life. Talk about life. Good wife, bad bitch, big fight. Smile life, leave in the middle of the night. Take these words home and think it through. Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. Um, I'm joined here with a special guest, my good homie Alex from the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. Um, one of the first guests to the show, so it's great to have you back on. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thank you. Um, so for listeners out there, Alex is, um, if you don't know who he is, um, he is a crazy cat. And I mean that in the best way, because we're going to be talking about some of history's like craziest alchemists. Um, Alex is definitely the the perfect dude to talk to about that. And I say crazy, crazy to me has always been, um, you know, it's double-edged, just like so many, if not most words, uh, descriptive words. But um, uh, crazy has always had like a little bit of a positive connotation to me. Crazy means fun. It means inventive. It means outside the box. It means... um you know, maybe you're, maybe you, um, are missing the mark a little bit, but you know, you're, you're, you're trying, you're diving out a little bit of uncharted territory and yes, crazy can also mean unhinged and like red flags and, um, you know, madness, I guess generally, but there's, you know, there's that line that's been said many, many times by different people, that about the fine line between genius and insanity. And I think that that is, uh, if there's any sort of archetypal, um, character that fits that description, it is the alchemist. Um, and if anything, the alchemist seeks to live in that medium, the, the middle path between the two, um, because they, I think as a character that enjoys like hermeticism or the, you know, the inspirations of alchemy, you you appreciate you're kind of drawn towards a surrealistic quality of life and an outlook on life. And, uh, um, yeah, Alex is, uh, he is quite the character. He's always been, um, um, for listeners out there. I, I, I love this story. I think it's funny. Um, um, Alex isn't afraid to speak his mind and he's always, uh, I, you know, we don't, uh, agree on everything, but it's, uh, it's, and you know, that's the beauty of, um, friendship and you know knowing people uh that give you different perspectives and you know for the most part we're very much on the same page but uh the story i was going to tell is that um I, I once watched alex on twitter uh get blocked by duncan trussell a comedian and uh co-creator of the midnight gospels and uh duncan trussell was just being petty i thought that was hilarious you're never afraid to speak your mind alex that's for sure no, well, uh, freedom of speech is important. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I, very often, especially on Twitter, when I come up with a, a viewpoint of, of some current event, I often try to, often when I say a viewpoint, uh, it's, I don't really have it yet myself. I might like send it out like, this would be the most original perspective that I've never heard before. I don't know if it's true, but I'll say it. And then if I get pushback and I discuss, uh, I can sometimes discover it was wrong. And if no uh, perspective or argument uh, can stand up to my original thing, then it becomes like, well, maybe that's correct. And, you know, that's usually how I form opinions uh, 
but um, uh, you know, oh. like people often say, take uh, ideas serious, you know. Yeah, and I like that. I think that that is honestly maybe a pre-internet, like more traditional way of. Um, um, granted, I'm not saying you're not an eccentric dude, as am I, but um, uh, the idea of just like testing the waters and I guess what I'm getting at is debate um, is the, the, the art of debate is definitely lost today. And, um, um, you know, you, I think I've said this to you before. In fact, I know I have now, but um, you, your, your aura is this like mild mannered, um, very chill dude, but, uh, and you are, but you also have this like inner spirit animal of like this, this uh grumpy dude from the Bronx that I love, you know, like you have this uh uh you know you this uh cutting sense of humor that you know I've definitely seen annoy other people, but that's because that kind of that dark sense of humor is just not for everybody. But I have an extremely dark sense of humor. Um and I'm sure there's gonna be a little bit more brought up in this episode on those lines. Um Alex, before I toss the ball over to you, um I wanted to ask you a little bit. This is the only character I am bringing to the table, really, before I uh, um, um, get you to enlighten me, because I'm sure you're going to tell me some shit that uh, plenty of shit that I don't know. Um, how much do you know about uh, Gilles de Ray? Uh, not any more than like the Wikipedia. <laughs> Got you. Yeah, I am. Um, I would like to know more but i am a bit familiar with the story and uh so when i approached alex uh to the listeners with this uh concept for an episode you know i thought it'd be great because he's already so entrenched um in the fine details of like the historical uh characters and time periods of alchemy um and i i asked him especially on the heels of this true crime uh bender that we did getting more back into alchemy i asked him you know, there's obviously uh, the, if you look back into like the mythology, uh, you know, like medieval mythology and stuff, folklore, there's the, uh, there's the stereotype of the alchemist, like selling a soul, to, essentially the Faustian um, stereotype. And I asked Alex about that because I had never really, you know, Dr. Faust was in, inspired somewhat by a real medieval character, um, but I hadn't never really come across any prolific alchemists um in the historical record that were really doing like true like full-on black magic um that's usually in some different categories because that was happening elsewhere and i asked you alex and you said most of the time the shitty alchemists were scammers they weren't like serial killers or like legitimate black magicians and i think that that rings true and the only one that i can really find is Gilles de Ray. and um you know, I'll talk about some of the most bonkers parts of this story, um, but there's a lot more that you can get into if you're interested. But this dude fought alongside Joan of Arc um, in the uh, the Hundred Years' War, and he was, um, I don't know, he wasn't royalty, but like he was a, a nobleman, you would say. Um, and I believe that was, I believe he was French. Um, and he... After serve, it must have been some sort of. Uh, there's always been a question of what snapped inside him. Um, it does seem like he was surrounded by sadistic kinds of people 
growing up because his father died young and he was left to be tended to by sociopathic noblemen family members uh essentially uh but some somewhere mixed with that and potentially some war trauma this dude just snapped and all of that um um saintly type energy you know protecting and going into battle with joan of arc and you know he was heralded as like a real champion of the people um sort of a, a definitely a local legend um or a, a country legend this guy just takes all that alchemical energy snaps and starts abducting children um the numbers uh most historians agree it's between 100 and 200 there's been some that have estimated more than 600 um they were predominantly young boys from like 6 to 18 and he would you know without getting into too much detail he would do like some hellraiser kind of stuff where he would talk to family members this guy was a nobleman of the the city he was in so he was like the freaking mayor basically um in this like 1400s time period and imagine if the mayor just or like your local you know low-key millionaire just started picking children off the streets or even not only that going to family members saying hey uh let me give your child an apprenticeship and, and getting all the paperwork lined out and then coming over to the castle for the apprenticeship and then just never hearing from him again so the whole town at this point over the years um knows that something's going on in this castle all their kids are disappearing but they can't <laughs> this guy owns everything they can't do anything about it and so they're trying to appeal to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church doesn't give a fuck um, because it's not really worth their time. And it's not a it, it's not a political it's not a move that would make any sort of political effect on them or be any sort of power grab yet. So they don't do anything. Eventually, shit starts really stacking up. Um, uh, Gilles Deray becomes more and more brazen to the point where he's just like in serial killer frenzy mode. And, and then the Catholic Church finally does like a SWAT team raid of his um, of his castle and land and finds so many bodies. Um, and some people question how much of uh, Gilles de Ray's story is true because he was you could bet your ass he was tortured uh, once he was uh, taken into custody. But there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of evidence found and there's no question that he was doing this. It's just a matter of the numbers. Um, and yeah, this guy was real sick and he was an alchemist that went full serial killer mode. Uh, some people say he was the first serial killer on the historical record. I think the only thing that would beat that is the story that I've told on the show of Angulimala, uh, the Buddhist uh, mythology of a serial killer. But that that's the oldest story. I don't we don't really know if that was true or not. Um, so interesting food for thought that's definitely the most sadistic evil alchemist that i know of um so i wanted to drop that in there because oh, the other thing was he spent millions and millions of dollars in today's money like most of his fortune as he was murdering children he built like a cathedral and he put um he put on this play this extravagant play about himself defending joan of arc which squandered most of his family fortune it was like it was insane like broadway on steroids uh so this guy was fucking really strange uh to say the least um <laughs> what, what do you say to all that uh, alex what do you think there 
Well, I do have uh, one perspective on it. And uh, well, first of all, uh, I, I I wouldn't know. Uh, I mean, he, he was into alchemy and he apparently asked to be in contact with alchemists and that. But uh, yeah, he was at least trying to be. Yeah. But I wouldn't class him as technically an alchemist. But true, ma- many of the alchemists from when he lived, uh, most of the kooky ones lived between uh, his time and up till now. So alchemy is way older. So it was during like the 1400s up to 1800s where you have most of the the, the scammers and those kinds of alchemists. And uh, often what they do, often what happens to them is they get killed or or imprisoned or put to death for various reason, reasons. They were scam, scamming, you know, like uh, tricking like a royal that they could make gold, maybe they couldn't, and then, you know, they got money for the investment, but they, the royals never got any gold, you know, like that kind of thing, mm. uh, that kind of scam. But when it comes to this Gil uh, de Rey, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm no expert on the topic, but one perspective is also that uh, most of the stuff that you said comes from like one perspective source. And there's another where, you know, like uh, the reason they uh, caught him was because he had a dispute with the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church, uh, this was during the Inquisition, uh, you know, like. You know how even today how easy it is to um, say somebody is something without them being that, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and but you know we, <clears throat> we we don't have any footage or any evidence really, so it could be also another theory could be that he was a victim of a Catholic Church plot because what happened was after he got killed or uh, executed, uh, they took all his you know you mentioned how rich he was. They took all his land and divided it amongst themselves and the nobles. This is very true. Yeah, so it could also be like uh, framed in a sense. And the Catholic Church killed Joan of Arc. And if he he, he was like saying she was good, maybe, you know, they had enough, this guy. But yeah, yeah, that's another interesting bit is um, he, even while he was um, like murderous and in some way, without there's no way to really know for sure obviously but it seems that joan of arc and her death at the hand of the catholic church um probably um was one of the straws that broke his back and sort of twisted him because a lot of that weird extravagant play was just as much uh like homage to uh joan of arc as it was to himself so yeah um there is if he didn't do any of that um or uh, what I'll say is um, the 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 by far the next most popular theory uh, and strong running theory is that he was set up by the Catholic Church. And it really could go either way, especially with a story that old, uh, true crime that old. <laughs> Good luck getting any evidence. It's basically mythology at this point. We just know that in some sense it happened um, or that the characters were real and something went down. But um um i always sometimes people say like oh it would be easy to kill a lot of people 500 years ago there was no like police or in that kind of way uh, you know like 
keeping you no know, cameras or anything like that. It's easy to to get away with, and most people didn't have an ID or you know like so it's probably easier to kill uh, a lot of people and not get caught. Uh, but I'm also wondering, like I'm thinking now, like uh, was it maybe in those days people were living in smaller communities? They didn't travel so far. And you know, when you live in a small town, everybody knows everybody and they keep track of each other's kids. I don't know, I'm just speculating. Maybe it wasn't as easy to do and get away with as we think. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, it's a hell of a story either way. Um, yeah. um, but uh, one that we will not get the answers on, certainly not today. Um, I'd like to hear more of... Uh, of some of the people, some of the wildest alchemists that have inspired you. Um, I may, um, depending on who you have um, in your on your deck there, I may bring up John D a little bit. Um, but I'm interested in hearing. I know you go, you go deep, um, and you know the historical record of alchemists is not something that I'm new to, but um, it's something like you know prepping for a test, like a lot of those fine point details you might know for a while and then you might need a refresher. So I'm very um, excited for you to give me both barrels here and, uh, and really tell me about some, um, some uh, wild alchemists in history here. So you got the floor, man. Yeah. Well, uh, when it comes to the ones who inspire me or the ones I find uh, interesting, they're, they're not really the scammers. <laughs> uh, let's say if we call them scammers. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and uh, and uh, like with Gilda Ray, it's also hard. I mean, it's also like, did, were they scam artists or not? It's like divided uh, what people mm-hmm. think. But I guess the most famous one that probably most agree that he was a, a hustler was uh, Count Cagliostro. And uh, he uh, he uh, ended his life in a in a prison cell in Italy. Uh, and uh, he's probably the most uh, well-known uh, of the scammers. Well, what uh, was his deal? Well, he, he just basically uh, uh, ripped people off, <laughs> you could say. But he, he, he was also like, uh, uh, he invented like Masonic rites and stuff like that. So he was, uh, and you can even see his, uh, his uh, paintings, his illustrations, of uh, these uh, uh, rites, I mean, like rituals within the Masonic order. Uh, they're quite, I mean, well-made and I mean, like, so uh, he, he wasn't like a hustler uh, on all counts, you know, just uh, maybe when it came to like making gold, which probably couldn't do, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's the exact same sort of motif between the... Uh, um. I don't know, for lack of a better term, the true believer and the um and and the troll, I guess, or the scam artist. Um, you see that in like cryptozoology all the time. Um there are and I didn't expect to bring this up, so I don't have names in front of me. Um, but there are um several cryptozoologists or uh, or just like Fortians looking at unexplainable phenomena that have um written books so and and they've taken it seriously and but in addition to the stuff that they take seriously they've also created hoaxes just for the hell of it um and that's uh 
that's real. That's that's very uh, conniving. And uh, and but, you know, there's an element of humor there that I really enjoy. And um, I talked about this. Um, I don't remember who I spoke about it with, but um, um, I have more of an appreciation for the hoaxers that are just trying to throw something out there for and just let it sort of drift in whatever way it will for the fun of it. Uh, I have more appreciation for them than I have appreciation for people that are actually scamming. And that is to say like no appreciation for them, but there, and and there's a fine line, but there is a difference. Um, But you see that same thing in alchemy and just like occultism in general all the time. So it's hard to sift through like people like Blavatsky and Crowley. I mentioned this on the last episode. There's, there's useful food for thought in there, but plenty of it is kind of throwaway, like where they were just taking allegorical stories and really running with it in literal ways, like the like root race type stuff that Blavatsky was preoccupied with. Um, so there's always a, a matter of trying to sift through um, and like untangle all this shit. Um, but yeah, like, um, so aside from the, cra- the, the, the bad crazy, for lack of better term, what are, let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the best and um, some of the ones that were a little wild and eccentric, but are, uh, did a lot for the historical record, you know, like Paracelsus. Yeah, I guess, I guess Paracelsus would be the, the number one guy because he was um, a, a very peculiar character. I mean, they say he was very ugly, uh, and <laughs> he, uh, for this reason, he 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 didn't really uh, have uh, any. He never had a wife or kids or anything like that because they suspect that nobody wanted him. You know, <laughs> oh, uh, poor guy. <laughs> uh, but the cool thing with him was that he he like he co- constantly traveled. You know, he was all over the place, and you have to remember he lived. He was born in like 1493 and died in 1541. So it wasn't like easy to travel back then. Mm-hmm. And he traveled all over Europe and uh, all the way up into Ukraine, you know. Uh, and uh, so it, it's uh, huge distances, you know. And uh, he was everywhere. And what he did was he used to uh, go to uh, uh, what I guess today you would call witches. But in those days, they were just like housewives. <laughs> uh, because he said that the housewives of the world know more about medicine than the best universities. Uh, <laughs> so he learned a lot from them and, and, and um, all their like home remedies and that kind of thing. And, yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's a lot. Um, again, it's one of those cases where I wish I had a list in front of me, but because um, I don't have it committed to memory, but there's like it, like a small shopping list at least of, um, home or like even over the counter remedies like like powders and creams and stuff that um um we use today that paracelsus like was one of the first to um find and put into like record outside of like housewife um uh like old wives tale type stuff yeah exactly and he um he was one of the I, I don't know if he was the first, but definitely one of the first who uh, uh, treated wounds by cleaning them and allowing the wound to heal itself rather than 
bleed people and uh, mm. you know stuff like that. Uh, and for this reason, he he saved a lot of people uh, because usually uh, people died when they got a wound or they had to amputate a leg or something like that. They usually died because of infection. Uh, uh, so he uh, healed a lot of people and uh, became very popular as a miracle doctor because he he did what the real doctors didn't do. So the real doctors, you know, they hated him and he got chased out of towns all the time. And and um, uh, he n- never really respected uh, his fellow doctors because they were following incorrect knowledge, according to him. So he, imagine like if you have, he almost had like a 20th century approach and he was living 500 years earlier. So yeah. like people saw him as a madman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a dude ahead of his time. And it's interesting too, the, uh, cause I was going to ask you how he was, um, perceived by the people. Cause I know more of his studies than I do like the sociocultural part. And, uh, uh, I guess not very surprising that the people loved him, but the establishment didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, cause he, he was celebrated and he was a doctor. So he held lectures at universities and stuff. And, and he, he, spoke in uh, the german language not latin mm. which was not uh, at all appreciated because in those days latin was the academic language still is in sense so you you never really spoke the common language the common common tongue interesting it's like in the old days you know the bible was always in a, a language that the people couldn't speak or read so they right. just had to they just had to trust the priest that what he said was correct, you know. Which, yeah, I, I forget about that sometimes. That's a devious trick there, man. Yeah, but Paracelsus didn't do that. And he wrote in, in German. And uh, if you if you read the uh, uh, texts from that time, and then you read Paracelsus' texts, they they feel more modern. And he... Uh, he speaks uh, very harshly, like he's, he's very critical and like uh, talks tra- trash talks like the <laughs> universities all the time, you know, like, so he was very much a punk kind of character, like a rebel. And, um, and uh, but he wasn't like, I mean, he was usually correct, you know, he, there's a famous quote where he goes, my hat has more knowledge than all the doctors in all the universities or something like that. <laughs> so he, 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 and, you know, he, he, I don't think it's true that it comes from that, but uh, they say his, uh, this wor- word bombastic uh, comes from his name uh, because uh, his, but I think that's been disproven, but it's just a, a coincidence then. Because his na- his real name is Theophrastus uh, von Hohenheim, uh, name sorry uh, uh, Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. <laughs> so, so he had that name in his name, you know, and um, um, so that's and he was very bombastic. So that's why people think that word came from him. Uh, the that's reason is called name. yeah. The reason <laughs> the reason he's called Paracelsus is because. Uh, Celsus was a uh, like a, a doctor healer kind of character before him, and mm. para means greater, so it was, oh. was greater than the dude before, you know. Very cool. That's what um, his name. Um, yeah, a little bit of punk rock even just in the name there in the title. 
This is uh, your your good good old boyfriend uh, and uh, your good old friend that's a boy, not a boyfriend. Uh, Tippy Pat's in here, and you know from all them Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes, and I'm just here to uh, tell y'all about uh, some of the great commentaries that have been going on on this program with the good old Anthony Tyler. Um, we've done some great episodes, uh, just like uh, Richard the. Uh, Abominable Snowman, Kuklinski, the Jewish locksmith known as Israel Keys, uh, the Puerto Rican Batman known as Pedro Rodriguez Filho, and dang old Macaulay Culkin's gay murderous brother, Michael Alleg, and and a whole lot more, y'all. So why don't you go on, tune in, and uh, check them Black Hooded Alchemy episodes out. Don't forget, I'm Tippy Patson of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I hope to dang old hear from y'all soon. Hello. Is this thing on? Okay, please edit this out for me. Um, but uh, my name is Steve Buscemi, formerly known as uh, Jefferson Tillamook Slinger. As many of you know, I am a big fan of the Highlander movies and television show, but many of you may not know how confusing and fucking stupid that the uh, that the whole uh, storyline is. And I'm here to tell you, as a public service announcement to all them them youngins out there that don't understand the Highlander franchise, it's okay. You're not alone. And. If it makes you feel any better, basically the director's cut of the first movie and the TV show are the only things you really need to pay attention to. Everything else is just retconned bullshit. And, uh, it's a mockery. Um, so, just forget about, you know, the second and third movies and all those sci-fi channel movies. It was all not good. Um, it just served to confuse people, and even the people involved with those projects have pretty much said, don't think of those as an official story, so don't worry, maybe you can rest easy at night. But the fact of the matter is, the Highlander series might be perhaps the biggest botch in all of nerd culture history. Um, uh, next to things like uh, the movie Jumper with Hayden Christensen. Could have been great was not very great. Also, uh, Die Hard was a Christmas movie, and I am a classy movie critic. <coughs> oh, God. I am Apex Monsoon, the cosmic ghost pirate. The last uh, quarter of sales have not been too great for my dolphin pirate tarot deck. 
Not many of you have been interested. And, uh, you know, that's fine. I've, I'm brimming with good ideas. I'm a pirate anyway. Arg. So, er, uh, what I've done is, um, I've created Apex Monsoon's Cosmic Pirate Space Rum. Spiced Space Rum, matey. That's right. I've taken Caribbean Rum, Kirkland Caribbean Rum, and I've thrown that, um, that pulpery that's sprayed with synthetic cannabinoids that you can get at gas stations where it's not illegal now. And, um, I've got that floating in the Kirkland spiced rum. And I've also, um, thrown a little mini umbrella in there and put a cork on top. And it's my Apex Monsoon Cosmic Pirate Space Rum. Get it now at tippypetson.government forward slash DDU. Arg! Do it now! I'm a pirate, matey! Arg! Yeah, okay. Cool. Hello everybody. Right yeah, mate, it's uh it's in it's your girlfriend Silverback Commando here. Um so you know, uh, I still sell in the old uh, dolphin glue in that gel, but um you know, um gotta do a little bit of a PSA here because um I do not have enough uh dolphin grade LSD strips to be supplying uh, every single order of the Dolphin Glue and Air Gel with. So if you received a uh, uh, an order with the promise of the strip of LSD and you didn't get it, uh, sorry, I'm, um, I did not expect so many people to notice and I just don't have enough to share so also I've, I've got to go back to the drawing board a little bit I think because I think I might have been giving too many of these dolphins these dolphins a bit too much of the LSDs uh, because one of them recently popped on me like a balloon oh I, uh, not sure I'm gonna have to figure that one out a bit uh, but in the meantime you can still get the uh, dolphin glue in there gel um, for holding on to your toupees or your dentures or, or making your toys creepy crawl. That's it for now. Take care everybody. Hello everybody. I'm glad to be speaking with you again. I just finished polishing off a bowl of DMT and my brain feels like a light bright protendo. Just so you know, Muscle Tornado has heard your requests for DVDs and not VHS tapes of my uh, dolphin safety, no, alligator safety and hook hand combat techniques. Um, but I've, I've sunk all my funds into tapes. I knew that records were coming back, um, but I, I thought that tapes would be as well. They're not. Um, but anybody that has Walkmans out there, you can definitely get uh, my hook hand combat alligator safety techniques. I was uh, recently reading online about how alligators communicate through a series of whistles and clicks, and I think I may incorporate that into my next volume edition 
but uh, I still can't make DVDs or CDs. I don't, I don't even really know how to. Um, but I promise that I will be pressing some vinyl with the next release. This is Muscle Tornado, over and out. Of, uh, what do you think of John Dee? He's a very interesting character, uh, but uh, it seems to me like it's his his uh, colleague Kelly who was the maybe the real alchemist. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Uh, it, they're they're interesting because they're like two. There's not that many cases of two. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a, a couple, uh, and they were all very different. Uh, whereas John, I mean, Kelly was more like a Paracelsus kind of character, like, uh, uh, and uh, John D was more, uh, you know, a gentleman, you know. Uh, yeah, um, Kelly, yeah, was, I think you're accurate in the, in the comparisons. Um, um, uh, but to give Paracelsus credit, he was even, he was even, uh, scammier much scammier than Paracelsus, even though he had um, some, it seems some genuine talent. Um, but yeah, now that I think of it, John D and Edward Kelly might be like at least one of the best, most prime examples of having just as much intrigue and merit to, and at least a philosophical perspective as they do like drug fueled, uh, e- like, self-mythologized egotism you know because there's the there's the classic uh bit to that story where as these guys so it's pretty clear at this point although not entirely proven that kelly was an alchemist at least insofar as being able to identify um uh different plants um specifically uh western acacia um to and be able to extract uh dmt for actual smoking um and the, he used that for scrying and for like divination purposes and things and um and that edward kelly was the the studious one who knew all these languages and you know he had a, a, a high education uh and so but he you know more of a mathematical mind um not so much inclined to the 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 vision states and you know, I guess that makes sense because it seems weird to me that Kelly would be so in, or uh, that D rather would be so interested, but just be like, well, I guess I can't do any of this visionary stuff. But I guess it's like me and guitar. Um, like I can strum, I can play a little bit, but I tried when I was younger, and I, you know, I can just write. Even when I was learning to write it always felt like it was coming naturally and guitar was always so much of a struggle. Same with doing comprehensive math. 
And, you know, there are some people who are more inclined to hypnosis. So I think, I guess there are just some people who are more inclined to self-hypnosis, you know, the visionary states. And so it's weird that they team up, but then Kelly gets so much into, <laughs> he, he, he wraps D so much into this that he gets D convinced for those that don't know the story um, that the DMT angels, whatever that they're talking with and creating Enochian and magic through the communication with those angels want them to swap wives and they do. Uh, but then that ends up uh, really pissing D off because that feels like he can't really swallow that horse pill. Seems like uh, he can't he can't get over the fact that Kelly is uh, probably really scamming him, at least partly at this point. And it kind of derails the whole thing from there. But uh, yeah, what the fuck? What a weird story. <laughs> well, if it could also be that they're like, oh, it's 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 all an illusion. I mean, what does it matter if we swap uh, non-playable character? <laughs> yeah, and and you know, uh, as kinky as it is, um, um, as long as everything is consensual, more power to you. Um, it's uh, it, I guess it's a real cautionary tale of like uh maybe sleep on it first because uh it seems like um um d was he was definitely hesitant but i think kelly probably told him that right there it's just like man we're doing all this crazy shit does it really matter if we even swap wives like we're on a higher dimension anyway and D's like, oh, I get that. I see what you mean. Yeah. And then he actually see he, he sees the everything play out and he's like, ah, oh, man, this isn't what I signed up for. I just wanted to watch my friend smoke DMT and fucking uh, chart his, his, his trips. Um, yeah. But so. they're like very connected to psychedelics, those two. But what's interesting is that out of, I mean, there's like hundreds of alchemists, but uh, Paracelsus is also that. Because he, because um, he was working so much with the different kinds of potions and medicines, uh, he, he did uh, use uh, laudanum uh, and uh, kind of invented it. I guess you could say, mm. uh, which is morphine. You know, right? And, uh, he he called it the panacea. You know, like the ultimate cure. You know, uh, because whatever you know, if you're in pain and you take his potion, you're not in pain. I mean, it was a miracle um so uh but also uh there's this uh, story that i think is one is really fascinating is when he when he went to moscow uh he uh, got captured by the tatars the tatars are like the mongols oh uh, okay the mongol and they're like uh, i mean the term shaman comes from that region uh, a, a bit above uh, the Tatars and, and the Mongols, but I mean, it's that region of the world. And the the Mongols were shamanistic, you know, they had like uh, shamans in there. I don't know what they called them, but they had that. Um, anyway, they captured him. And uh, funnily enough, very current, even today, he was uh, taken through Ukraine in, uh, to the Crimea. And hmm. uh, he managed to like befriend uh, these Tatar, these Mongol captures. And they they noticed that he was a holy man because uh, they viewed a healer as holy, you know. So they started to like skill share and share stuff. Ooh. And he said that uh, the Tatars demonstrated uh, uh, great skill in medicine and surgery, uh, and he discovered marvelous things in their traditions. 
and uh, he said that uh, uh, you know there's this agent in alchemy called Asoth, which is the, basically the philosopher's stone, mm-hmm. and it's the it's the essential agent of transformation. So if you have that, you can transform anything. Uh, and uh, he said that uh, the Tartar medicine was shamanic. I didn't use that word, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, and um, they were rooted in faith and imagination, as as well as drawing on herbal remedies. So it sounds like uh, when he's describing the Tartar's medicine, it's rooted in faith and imagination and herbal remedies. It sounds uh, very much like some sort of like psychedelic substance. Uh, no doubt. Um, and and faith healing um can obviously be a scammy thing but i think even from a you know empirical point of view um especially if you're looking into like historical perspective and considering um cultures that were had a huge lack of scam artists like native american shamanism and things like that um um and you see like at the very least from a skeptic's point of view, authentic attempts at faith healing. I think you can even find some merit. Obviously it's going to be on a case by case basis, but I think, um, you know, just the science behind hypnosis and even self-hypnosis shows that when you're able to get into that trance state, which is a, which is an empirical, you know, tangible thing um, that can be experienced by everybody. And it's not some sort of, uh, uh, masterful you know it's not something that like only like yogis can do or like the dalai lama it's very simple you know a a hypnotherapist can put you into it and uh you get into that state the science shows very plainly that uh not only are you able to sort of rewrite certain neural patterns i.e habits uh similar to how you would on a psychedelic trip um but you know there's in the sense of even just something as simple as positive affirmation, those things, it's almost like you've um, cleared the brush and you have a much clearer path just directly into the fertile soil of the subconscious. And um, we can tangibly, demonstrably, you know, decrease our stress levels that are even on a physical level, you know, body aches, body pains. You know, if you have autoimmune diseases, like, or like me, I have eczema, so your stress will show in the skin um, or in your stomach, you know, and, and when you clear the path of um, when you clear the mind, you will definitely notice physical, um, uh, you know, physical relief. So um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Who knows how far that can really go. But I mean, if you just want to take faith healing at that alone, there's definitely some merit. And um Alchemy is definitely interested in that uh, and has always been. Um, But what do you think, man, about, um, obviously it's a metaphor, it's an allegory of um, a transformational science or philosophy, but what do you think about turning uh, base metals to gold? Do you think anyone was actually really doing that? Because, I mean, it's theoretically possible nowadays with the science we have, or it is possible, they can they can bombard metals with radiation and shift the atomic scale. But were people able to somehow do that, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of years ago? What do you think? 
Yeah, I think they uh, it's very possible, but I I I um, it's not really. Uh, I don't think that's the aim of of the of alchemy. But uh, they uh, for sure, I'm sure some did. Uh, but you know, if you have an essential agent of transformation, then uh, I mean, like maybe it's not gold you want to make. Uh, maybe it's something else. But there's like two camps on this, if it's if it's uh, metaphorical or not. But if you look at the history of alchemy, it's clearly closer to chemistry than uh, woo. -woo. Uh, I mean, the early For alchemists sure. were uh, scientists. I mean, they they were. I mean, the difference between chemistry and alchemy. There's only one difference, really, uh, because they both. Uh, were doing trial and error and using the same materials and all that stuff. The only difference is that the alchemist prays, um, whereas the scientist is only involved in matter and the alchemist is not. So um, if the alchemist does the same chemistry uh, procedure as a chemist, the difference is he like prays or meditates uh, and that uh, would be interesting to try. I mean, I would love to see real scientists, uh, you know, pray and meditate in the lab, see if there's a difference of effect. But uh, uh, I think uh, that's the main difference. And uh, many of the uh, lab equipment were invented by alchemists. Uh, yeah. Some of them women. They want, they are, most of the foundational alchemists were women, uh, especially this uh, one called Mary. Uh, this was very important um, and they uh, are uh, often not mentioned as much well yeah i don't know much about that even i'd really like to hear anything you got to say about that because i mean obviously if we're talking archetypally um you articulated it pretty well um you know like the old wives tales that's not meant to be some sort of um you know obviously it wouldn't be derogatory but like belittling i guess um that's saying like in what people perceive as old wives tales there's some deep innate wisdom that is passed down and so there's definitely uh i think um a strong running theme of alchemical principles um in the feminine energy i mean you could see that just in the philosophy itself but i don't know of a whole lot of old school um female alchemists so I'd, I'd really like to hear about that yeah they um her real name was uh, this mary one well not real name but the name she's known as is mary the prophets uh, or the jewess jewess uh, prophetess i mean and uh, she uh, uh, invented this uh, famous uh, it's called the bain marie i don't know uh, if you know what it is but if you, if you see it it's quite uh, recognizable it's a, a sort of way to distill something um, but she lived in uh, uh, in um, uh, the Ale alexandria uh, northeast egypt area and um, so she was you know, the, you had like the Egypt and then you had her and then the modern world after that. So uh, she was kind of on the precipice of those two worlds uh, because history usually begins with Egypt, you know, right. you go with the traditional one. But uh, what do we know about her 
reputation, like socio-cultural? Like how was she integrated into the time that she was in? Uh, well, uh, as always, uh, everything we know about anybody back then is usually from writings from somebody who lived 100 years later. So mm-hmm. it's like really hard to... Uh, but uh, it's this guy called Sosimos of Panapolis. Okay, uh, yeah, P.D. Newman mentioned him in our conversation with him, so listeners so, will recognize that name. Yeah, so he wrote uh, about Mary. And, okay. And uh, he described her as one of the sages uh, and, uh, you know, uh, credited to be the first true alchemist, you know, in the West, you know. Uh, Interesting. But it goes with my theory that it goes, it's just, uh, I guess, alchemy is the civilized version of shamanism, I would say. Like, yeah. uh, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and, and I mean, um, civilized in like, it's it, maybe not now, not today. Today, somebody would think alchemy is some sort of esoteric mumbo jumbo. But I mean, like, if you think about from Jesus's time up to the Renaissance, uh, alchemy was like respectable, you know, I mean, compared to today. Most certainly. Yeah, it was it was absolutely um, a heuristic um, template for for chemistry, um, among other things, you know, physics, astronomy, um, all these different things. And this Um, is interesting, I think, always uh, is that, um, as I said, uh, Alchemists pray and they're more spiritual and the chemist is not. But the, the word chemist or chemistry is a spiritual word. You know, you always talk about when you have chemistry with somebody mm-hmm. or chemistry. I think that's, that's interesting that people started using that term in that way. Why Absolutely. Use, you know? And I'm pretty sure the etymology of the word chemistry comes from alchemy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just uh further cherry on top there. Um but yeah, the whole idea of the the scientist praying is uh is is also um something that I'd like to bring up a little more because uh that was more or less um the topic of the last episode where we were looking into Gautier and science and how the whole emphasis um it's you know it's very similar in terms of the traditional empirical model that we have uh, to like Newtonian science, but the huge emphasis because Gautier was an alchemist, like his whole natural life um, was the existentialist humanistic quality to the scientific study. Um, Kind of in that way where um, people like Jacques Vallée and John Keel will say, Hey, even if people have these outlandish stories that seem unbelievable, like, let's really look at the human quality here. Maybe the story they're telling wasn't 100% true, but like, how did it affect the person in that Jungian sense? We can uh, find a lot about things we don't have uh, understanding of uh, by gauging the human uh, experience uh, point of view, you know, and point of view, I, as we know about um, eyewitness um, reports and things, it can be skewed. Uh, but um, there is something fundamental and that's why we, we keep it empirical. We keep it um, grounded with control methods. So we don't let the, um, the subjectivity dilute a scientific experiment. Instead, 
we allow the subjectivity to be, um, you know, what's the easiest way without mincing words? In that alchemical sense, we work with the process itself um, in order to, uh, and this is how Rudolf Steiner, you know, he adapted Gautier in science and developed biodynamic farming. The idea of a farm as a closed loop ecosystem um, instead of just a mechanical Monsanto style process is probably the easiest visual representation of that model. Um, and it just think about it, man. If if Gautier had won out in like the scientific philosophical debate between Newton and and people like Descartes and all these different scientific philosophers, if Gautier had won out, what kind of world would we be living in now? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I uh, uh, um, I think that is. Uh, his his work is uh, is uh, very important still. Like Faust is the most famous one, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I you wouldn't know this is hard because it's it's German. But I every time you say his name, I I, I jolt. I don't know uh, which one you mean. But then I remember you because you the pronunciation. But uh, it's uh, Goethe. Yes, that, that that was also something uh, I talked about in the episode was like, yeah. I've heard it pronounced so many different fucking ways. I did a disclaimer at the beginning. I was like, look, yeah, yeah. The, the, the way that I've heard most people say it around me is Gautier. Um, yeah. and, but yeah. I've heard, I've heard, uh, what was the way you said it again? Because I've definitely heard it. Goethe. It's, it's how you say it. Okay. Goethe. <laughs> but, I heard but when you say it, it sounds like goatee. I was like, oh, who, goatee. who is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, but dude, I've heard, uh, for instance, in a Manly P. Hall lecture where he talked about Faust, he called him Gata. Like, there's so many, I've heard oh, so yeah. many, even scholarly people say it differently. I don't, but I think, I think, um, you're probably. The most correct. I feel well, like the way I'm saying it is like the Western flair of like how people in the West would would attempt to say it. But yeah. yours is probably closer to like. Well, it, I mean, fuck, I, you're I, closer to where he lived anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a German name. So I, yes, right. in German you would say Goethe, but I don't know. But good note, I, good note, I, good note. I thought it was, but anyway, the reason I mentioned it was because I, I thought it was funny because when you say uh the other way you said it it sounded like goatee and you know faust <laughs> faust and go a goatee i thought it was oh like uh, a like a devil's mustache and goatee yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thought it was it was also correct in that sense uh, yeah no doubt <laughs> um, uh, but um no but the, the uh, i think there's a lot to, to uh i mean uh, i think there's more truth to alchemy than people give you credit now because i uh, I recently got a telescope and I've always, I live in a place where you can easily see the stars uh, and uh, there's very little light pollution, but I never really had a telescope in my life. I always thought about getting one, but I never did for some reason. So that, oh, I'll get one. And uh, when I looked into it, I mean, I didn't get a, a cheap one. I didn't get an expensive one. I, did, I got like a, mid-range high is pretty good i mean it wasn't cheap but it was i mean there's always more expensive ones <laughs> right but i i mean i wanted to get one that was you could see if, as far as possible without breaking the bank you know um and uh, when i used it uh it was kind of a spiritual experience because you uh get you, you like you're in 
you're up there in the universe. I mean, you, you're so much closer. And the shocking thing, I mean, I, this is funny. I knew this, but I, did, I didn't really understand it until I looked in this telescope. Because when I, when I look up at the stars at night, you know, it's, it's a black sky and then you ha have all these dots, right? Mm -hmm. But when I put the telescope up into that area and looked in the telescope, there were billions more dots that I had not ever seen before. <laughs> I mean, there's so much, there's, I mean, it was, it was almost like the, that was all there is. Like, you know, like when you look at a TV that's turned off or this static, you know, like, right. it looked like, it looked like static, like there was that many. Wow. And, um, and in alchemy, you have the as above, so below, the microcosm and the macrocosm. Mm -hmm. And the further you go, the further you look at the big thing, the more it resembles the tiny thing. Uh, and my wife had a good theory uh, where it's all looped. So if you ever manage to reach the biggest, biggest thing, you're actually at the smallest, smallest thing of the next thing. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, that reminds me a little bit. And I always thought it was a very alchemical ending. Um, Richard Matheson, he wrote, I am legend. He wrote uh, what dreams may come. And uh, he wrote the incredible shrinking man among other greats um, in the incredible shrinking man, um, which I think if I remember correctly, maybe I, I could be remembering this wrong, but I think there's some sort of like almost Stephen King thinner style hex that's put on him. But in any case, he just starts shrinking a small amount and then it like, it, it, it the story visits back with him periodically and he's just getting smaller and smaller the same amount every day and then um it gets to a point where he's like a tiny man looking for crumbs in the basement like a tiny like tom or like no like 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 Faye style where he's like trying to fight a spider like it's a dragon and and he's slowly he's like i don't know what the hell's gonna happen to me when i keep shrinking because I'm, I'm shrinking the same amount like incrementally every day um and at the end it's like the final freaking centimeter whatever the smallest uh, measurement he was using and instead of disappearing out of existence he just finds himself in a new landscape he's he's a part of like i guess what you would call the quantum landscape at that point and it's just and the, he leaves it open-ended so you don't really know what it all entails but the takeaway is that he is just he just basically simply through scale not even like some crazy high-minded transportation simply through scale he like entered into a different dimension of existence which i thought was fucking awesome i always love that ending and it it's doesn't spoil the, the story either so go read that yeah it's like the that alchemical symbol the uroboros the snake eating its own tail it's just mm -hmm. a loop absolutely uh, um and that could also be the because this is uh, every Every symbolism you see, if you see a, a symbolism in something and you see it in something else everywhere, um, it becomes like a, a good sign. So you also have the, uh, when you die and are reborn, you have the wheel. Um, right. So it's always looped. Uh, and uh, if you go out, you come in. And if you go in, you go, go out. You know, it's the... It's very alchemical, I think. Um, Absolutely. So, as above, so below is uh, one of the important phrases, but uh, it, 
uh, it explains a lot. If you like start looking at science and nature uh, through alchemical eyes, uh, I think a lot of things make sense. And the famous story with the turning lead into gold, I started to think is that uh, it's not about turning lead into gold. Uh, it's uh, revealing, unveiling that uh, lead is gold. It's all, everything's gold, you know. So uh, yeah. uh, it's metaphorical, of course. But you, right. uh, it's the same as if you feel depressed and you're like suicidal, you're depressed and all that stuff and you want to be healed or I wish I was happy and that. If you reach the point of healing, you would realize that you are happy. I completely yeah. agree. It's yeah. a, I, I, I think it's so well encapsulated in, it's kind of the Phoenix metaphor, but very even more basic than that. Um, it's uh, the alchemical motif of life is just sort of, um, it, yeah, it's well represented in the fact that ash makes great fertilizer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, everything is cyclic. And um, before, I want to ask you some more um, const, uh, questions about the, you know, the the concepts in philosophy, or, uh, alchemical philosophy. But uh, before I do that, I wanted to give you final opportunity to data dump um any more interesting names you want to toss our way yeah there's this guy called uh, count saint germain uh, and he wrote a book actually it's called the most holy trinosophia and it's a very peculiar book with lots of different uh graphs and stuff but he he um, he's been credited as being immortal maybe still alive uh, and he was a, I mean, I, I don't know why they have not made a film of him uh, because his, his whole life is like a film. He, nobody really knows who he was from the beginning. Uh, some think he was like uh, an Austrian, um, uh, an Austrian and he, some guy called Prince Francis Rakoczy II, but uh, nobody knows who he was from the beginning, really. Mm. Uh, but he he live he started living we don't know in uh, in the late 17th century, and he uh, was an alchemist and he was ambidextrous. He could write with both hands at the same time, different things. He was like an expert violinist. Uh, he never ate food. Uh, nobody ever saw him eat anything. He was wow. uh, like uh, uh, very good with the ladies. <laughs> and he uh, he could like uh, produce gems and gold, at, you know, like just just p pull it out of his pocket whenever he wanted to, you know, like he. So he, he and then he also became a, a an agent, like a secret agent, working with uh, England in England and France, and uh, uh, you know did a lot of uh, shady stuff. But uh, he, so he was like a, some sort of James Bond character at some point in his life. What time uh, period was this? Uh, he uh, well, it, it's from seventeen hundred and oh right forward. Right, uh, we we don't know exactly, but uh, but he's mentioned in uh, his the most famous mention of him is in uh, uh, you know Voltaire, the writer. Definitely. 
uh, he his most famous book, uh, Candide. Uh, he mentions him as the Wonder Man. Mm. Uh, so, um, but there's also letters and like the Queen wrote about him and and stuff like that. Um, so uh, he, uh, he 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 was everywhere. And I don't know if you know who Anton Mesmer is. I've heard that name. That's I, I know that's where the term mesmerize comes from. Yeah. Um, refresh my memory, though. Well, yeah, he was working with magnets and uh, magnetism and animal magnetism and all that stuff. Uh, that was in like the early 20th century, was it? Uh, it was uh, around uh, the foundation of the United States, like 1776. Oh, wow. It was that far uh, back. Okay, uh, got it. And there's this, uh, I don't know, we, nobody knows how true it is, but this, I mean, it would be great in the film. Like, Mesmer is like stuck in his work and he needs to make a breakthrough. So he comes home and he is told he has a distinguished guest and he finds uh, Count St. Germain sitting in his reading room, reading a book by Paracelsus, you know, like it's like, a, wow. A, apparently after this meeting, you know, things he he had some good uh, tips, you know, from Count Saint Germain. Apparently, I don't know who knows. You know, it's all mythology, but um, very interesting. Uh, but he met all these characters, and he was also like, uh, uh, I can't remember when was the French Revolution. Uh, let me. Uh, let yeah, me yeah, the you. French Revolution. Yeah, seventeen eighty nine. He. Um, Got it. He was also like, um, when he was this uh, secret agent, he was also like running around uh, during that period. And uh, uh, some claim like he was part of the orchestration of it happening and stuff like that. Very and then he also ended up in, uh, in Russia uh, with uh, uh, the Russian uh, like the nobility, you know. And, uh, and then he... he, he he vanished like he just like people started thinking he's still alive you know he, he he's immortal you know because he never really they never really thought he looked older you know he kept and that's uh saint germain yeah saint germain yeah wow weird yeah i was i was gonna ask you if there was any like story of him dying that people dispute but as far as we know he just kind of disappears huh yeah wow fucking wild um, but he is a really interesting character, and he uh, apparently, like uh, as I said, was an excellent violinist. <laughs> but uh, he wow, uh, that dude yeah. could do anything almost. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember his name now. I'm trying to quickly Google it. But he had uh, in those days when you because he traveled a lot, so you had a oh I remember now, <laughs> uh, you traveled by coach, like you have a horses and a coach, you know. Uh-huh. And he he always had the same like he had like a, a driver that was his driver and his like assistant or whatever, and this guy's name if I don't misremember it was called Roger, <laughs> and I just think <laughs> it's like it's like a Hollywood script, <laughs> his uh, his life you know. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. A great film. Uh, Freaking Roger, know, like, yeah, they got the 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 comic relief uh, sidekick buddy named Roger there and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, I did. I mean, he he was even employed by Louis the Fifteenth as a diplomat. You know, like mm. he, he was, um, and Casanova, uh, this guy, he's also a famous uh, hustler in those days. 
he uh, he was friends with him as well and like so he he, no shit. he knew everybody you know? <laughs> wow um uh stirring my brain of um you know probing the historical record a little bit you got me kind of thinking about Rasputin what do you think about Rasputin man yeah i uh, i uh, i think he's an interesting character he's very shamanic in some sort of way uh, kind of like a Merlin character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be the best simple, like reductionist way to describe yeah. him. Um, yeah, but I, I haven't really studied his stuff or, or his history that much. But uh, yeah, that's one that I know uh, bits of the story of. But um, I would like to brush up on more before uh, diving into completely. Like Rasputin, especially, uh, could be a whole episode worth. Um, Definitely. Oh, I, I, sorry. Hmm. Uh, I've, I don't know if um, you would consider him classically alchemical per se, but in terms of um, uh, like mysticism and being, um, you know, shamanic for, for want of better term um, and dealing with alchemical practices, especially in that way where you're constantly trying to sift through, was it bullshit? Was some of it legit? did he scam people or did he think it was legit? Like there's so many fucking avenues to go down. Rasputin is a, a hell of a story for sure. Well, in fact, I forgot to mention about Jermaine. I also think it's interesting is that the, the guy they think he was, uh, uh, this Prince, uh, Rakoshi or, or whatever his name was, uh, he, uh, he came from, uh, Transylvania. <laughs> oh, no shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and apparently already 500 years old at the time of entering the history books, you know, but who knows? Yeah. That's a good book. Anyway, Uh, you can easily get it. Uh, yeah, that's one we'll probably have to cover, uh, as, as its own show, uh, St. Germain, one of these days. That's wild. Um, yeah, I think we we ran the gamut when we're not done yet. I, I still got some more um, that I'd like to ask your opinion of. But uh, in terms of um, interesting names, we really ran the gamut of the 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 scummy to the scammy to the eccentric and innovative, like a little bit to the mythological, got a little bit of it all in there. Um, this is why uh, if I were to consider myself anything, it's an alchemist. Um because these characters are just nutty um, in the best ways. They're crazy in the best ways, um, except for Gilles de Ray. <laughs> um, but, and, uh, you know, also just, um, I was going to bring this up earlier, just as like a, you know, tip of the hat, I guess. Uh, we were talking about um, the the feminine, uh, feminine characters in um, the alchemical historical timeline. And a lot of... Um, what I know from like the West, um, particularly, you know, voodoo is uh, something that is very alchemical and shamanic. And uh, because of, you know, I guess just, you know, Southern politics um, and the fact that there's serpent worship involved, like it's just always been inherently considered evil and black magic. Um but the fact of the matter is the negative aspects of voodoo are 
inherently defensive and they're meant to you know it's kind of like martial arts you know like uh voodoo dolls and different things and some people can abuse that but uh voodoo um you know uh, in its like westernized form derived from uh like african religious uh culture um is something that places a lot of emphasis on the the feminine energy and it's been a minute since i've looked into voodoo but it's uh i i, I did go down some rabbit holes read some books because i do find it very interesting um i believe that um there are no i mean obviously you have like witch doctors and you have male voodoo figures for sure but you don't in terms of like the ultimate top position the feminine energy and the the female voodoo priestess is the most top dog um and marie laveau uh famous for being uh the priestess of new orleans you know you can go to the voodoo shop in new orleans uh her voodoo shop quote unquote to this day um she's a similar character and it's said that she still might be alive to this day um she's got a lot of lore and that's another fascinating story that could take up its own episode um where she there she was 100 freaking million percent a real person uh like she was all around new orleans everyone knew her she's a staple um but there's yeah sifting through it's, it's the same thing we're looking at something like Gilles de Ray. like we can see enough of the historical record or saint germain to see that this person was around doing impressive things i mean they wouldn't be remembered so vividly if they weren't doing impressive things but the the telephone game is so fucking you know there have been so many turns in that telephone game that we're just never truly gonna know but that's part of the fun of it to me yeah the great thing with jermaine is he, he appears in the diaries of different nobilities uh that are, are that oh, separated wow. so you can it's very clear that he at least existed for for sure and did stuff uh, but uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff he did could be legendary. But that's uh, that's a good thing about those days that people wrote diaries. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, if we lose the internet, we don't have any record of anything. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. Makes you wonder. Um, it also makes you wonder if we might be a little better off if some people just wrote in diaries what they might tweet. Um, <laughs> oh yeah but, uh, um uh because the internet is definitely some sort of massive projection mechanism um and people um yeah i think sometimes um giving people the ability to have no filter and say exactly what's on their mind um yeah bites them in the ass sometimes um but yeah, just as an aside, because, man, if you want to get down the idea of, uh, like, computers and black mirrors, that can get very alchemical as well. But um, I did an experiment uh, this last week, actually, which I thought was very interesting on, oh, what's on, twi on Twitter. I, 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 I went to somebody's tweet that had a lot of followers, and uh, let's say they, the tweet was about A, and then I write B, B, B. And get a lot of, and get dogpiled, you know, by all these people, <laughs> and uh, uh, nothing grows followers more. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, oh, it's a sense of trolling, I guess, in a sense. But definitely, I mean, it's like 
it's but also with a thought experiment involved, yeah. not just trolling. Yeah, yeah, I do believe what I said. So you know, you if I have a view, I know that I stand behind. I just find the tweet that's opposite and put it there, like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you get a lot of traction on that. And I, th- I think that's interesting how the algorithm uh, likes that. You know, that it is likes a conflict. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um very interesting. Now I was trying to think. Yeah, I did um this thought popped into my head. Um, because it's been a while since these are just such classic historical characters, the two I'm about to bring up. You almost I almost kind of forget about them in the esoteric sense, even though I have uh went down those rabbit holes a little bit. Um I'm actually after this conversation, I I'd, I'd like to go back and look at these two characters a little more, but um, would you consider on a technical level, um, not so much archetypal, but technically speaking, or would Michelangelo and uh, Leonardo da Vinci, da Vinci be considered alchemists? Uh, no. No? Um, yeah, because they, they, as far as I know, I've never heard alchemy associated with their name, but those two, to me, in terms of what they practice, like the output of what they were doing, was very alchemical i was surprised um that i've never found them associated or that they weren't like directly interested in alchemists yeah well i'm not saying no i just like some scholar was writing a list of alchemists i don't think he would put them on it you know yeah uh, yeah i i uh that's that was that was my impression but like i uh it'd been a while since i looked into them so i wanted your opinion but yeah um but they could definitely be viewed as alchemical in a sense. I think more Da Vinci than Michelangelo. Uh, definitely. Um, I think Da Vinci was, yeah, he was more, uh, uh, more mystical. I think he certainly was. Yeah. Um, um, I think the thing that might um, put Michelangelo in there was his uh, fascination with not just symbolism, but uh, the human body um, and um you know, like he did a lot to further our understanding of uh, the human anatomy in some ways. Um, but yeah, Da Vinci—that's a whole—that's a whole can of worms right there. I, we don't—we don't need to get into that right now. Um, it's, it's a shame that they can't. Like, I mean, have you seen those statues they carved in those days that were like it looks like they have a blanket and it looks soft? You know, like. Or they mm-hmm. have like a veil above the in front of the face, and it just looks like a real veil, but it's stone. Mm-hmm. Like the skill level is amazing. Uh, it really that's something is. Something I think is lost uh, uh, with the modern era is this like there's very few people who have like like who dedicated their whole life to a specific skill and like mastered it. That's very rare. Yeah, you can get it like them maybe like sports stars or something like that but or some musician but it's not that common uh especially not when when it concerns like making something uh agreed yeah um when i was researching the story of michael alleg uh party monster um i was reading this bit and i can't find the quote maybe i will one day but i read it and i didn't save it and i tried to go back and look for it but he was doing this uh are you familiar with that story it doesn't no. really matter. No, but ba- long story short, just so you know who the character is I'm referencing. Um, he was 
uh, Macaulay Culkin played him in a movie uh, when he was as he was an adult. And it's a story about um, this famous uh, club promoter who was like friends with RuPaul, like the famous drag queen um, in the 90s that um, was popular in New York and ended up and was kind of like celebrated in like the gay like alt community um, and then ended up killing one of his drug dealer friends and like chopping him into pieces and throwing him in the Hudson river. It was a, it's a pretty wild story, but, um, um, he, and it was real drug fueled and everything, but he said in this interview, which is stuck in my brain as something, uh, alchemical, uh, in just an observational way, he was talking about, you know, cause his whole thing was like, he was the latest thing and the most influential thing to like the New York club scene since Andy Warhol, like right on the heels of Warhol. Um, and uh, he was like, he, he said that what he did today and what people like Warhol did um, or what he did back then couldn't be done today because the projection process of the internet, it's so immediate and instantaneous. It doesn't allow the natural, uh, capability the natural the necessary process of incubation of a cultural idea something something forms like think about like all the staples that we have to this day like this is how you know like punk rock started it wasn't um created in a corporate studio they they got their hands on that afterward it was a real it's hip-hop the same way it started truly of the people um and um fuck I, what was my train of thought there god damn it um um yeah i remember um so we don't have time in this immediacy in the immediacy of this day and age to incubate um these ideas that become and, and it seems that that incubation period like memetically archetypally is necessary to foster something on a level that is as deeply embedded as like hip hop today. Um, and even if some like look at the things that become viral, they become instantaneous. Everyone knows what they are. And then next week we can hardly remember. Um, it, and so even when things become viral, like the only way they really stick around is if they have that some sort of incubation period. And it's much harder today. Um, and I think that that whole idea of like the action potential and the incubation of that action potential like that's like alchemy in its most basic terms so that's just kind of some food for thought to the conversation but more importantly it's a segue i want to toss it to you as a final question and take however long you want with it there's no rush um what do you think about alchemy in today's day and age just uh, you know go in whatever direction you want with it but like what do you think about uh, considering the historical record and what it actually means to be someone interested in alchemy today uh i think that uh, I, I think the term is used a bit too easily and uh and it's uh, often used as a word to represent change uh i guess which is fine it's just that's what the word means now i guess transformation or change uh, i mean people call it like if they make food they call oh this is an alchemy of different uh, kitchens you know so uh, they use it in that way so it kind of like has a lost kind of its original meaning in a sense but for me like 
if if you if you're uh, like like an alchemist you you have to uh you, you have to uh, do something like you'd have to try and work on yourself spiritually and physically uh, it can't only be spiritual yeah, absolutely and, uh, it can be uh, uh, you know in lab work uh, making tinctures or stuff like that, uh, or trying to make uh, find the philosopher's stone or whatever. Uh, but it can also be, uh, which I think is something not mentioned much, is that the, the human body is also an alchemical laboratory. And yes. uh, the famous thing where, like, you are what you eat. I mean, like uh, the uh, indigenous, uh, at least in the Amazon. They uh, often use different diets to change how you are and what will happen to you, um, and it's true. Like if you if you only eat like candy every day, you know you're gonna feel a certain way. It's gonna affect you in some way, uh, or if you eat something else. Uh, and in the Amazon, of course, they they diet different plants that have different effects. So they're using like uh, the body as uh, no chemical vessel um, and uh, so i think uh, to say you you're an alchemist i think you would have to do something with your body or at least or work in the lab or both but also be uh, trying to uh, evolve spiritually uh, but you know like uh, to go to like a two-week meditation retreat uh, you haven't gone through an alchemical transformation or something, <laughs> I wouldn't say. Uh, but it's used very lightly, the term al alchemy these days. Uh, I would and, agree. Uh, yeah, kind of in the same way that love, you, like you need yeah. to differentiate, like, do you mean like some sort of existential love or do you just really love that food? Like, are you talking about alchemy or are you talking about the alchemy of flavors here? You know? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm doing that with my kids. Uh, one of my daughters has started to say, I love this or I love that, you know, different stuff. And I, I, I always say, uh, use, use like. <laughs> right, yeah. Don't, Save don't, love for the important don't stuff. Don't waste that word on, on such <laughs> stuff, you know. Like. It's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, we mentioned this uh, before we started recording as we were just kind of shooting the shit. Um and I think it um, it's kind of worth the the food for thought in the conversation because you were talking about you know the psychology, but also the physicalization um, of alchemy. And you know, I was it was I was half joking, um, but I was also being fairly serious. Um, so we were talking about um, drugs and how, like, particularly here in America, um, the drug game has just gotten even worse because it used to be you were just using a sketchy drug at the bar, maybe Coke at the bar, for instance. But now it's not just like Coke at the bar. It's do you fucking do you want to play Russian roulette and maybe snort a line of fentanyl or xylazine or something and uh, and really fuck your life up uh, and maybe just die right there on the spot. So like um, and, and this is kind of, you know, this is the alchemist way in many ways. Um uh, not the death part, but what I'm about to say is, so, so I told you, Alex, um, for the listeners out there, if you're going to do the harder drugs, um, even weed, you know, this is 
I try to live by this. I don't always, but you should be growing it yourself. Um, like if you have a habit, if you're going to indulge in a habit, even if it's beneficial, you know, uh, my weed habit, definitely more beneficial than any sort of Coke habit that someone would have. You should still, I feel like it behooves you. You should take on some sort of what I would call like an existential alchemical responsibility, grow that yourself in the kind of the same way of like hunt your own meat whenever possible um, in today's world. Um, Like if you're gonna shoot some heroin, grow those fucking poppies yourself. (laughs) Is you will not only will it not be cut with some shit, but you'll appreciate it a lot more. You might be a little more conservative because of all the work that went into there. And you're going to learn a lot about the process of life itself through that alchemical process. So if you're going to have some sort of dirty habit, you might as well learn a thing or two out of it. Um, but and like that, that no, go ahead. No, no, I was just fucking rambling on. I'd like to hear what you have to say. It's good advice, uh, but I wouldn't apply it to practical alchemy uh, because I, <laughs> I have, a, I, you know, I have a lot of uh, friends in the alchemical community and I'm part of one myself, I guess you could say. And uh, we know several people who died from things they made themselves. So uh, uh, doing like uh, trying Mm. to make uh, alchemical procedures from these old texts and that, I mean, there's like mercury and uh, antimony and different uh, substances that they use. And if you make a tincture and you don't know what you're doing, you're dead. So uh, when it comes to alchemy, you, 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 should if you're going to use those kind of substances then you have to really know what you're doing uh, and um i i couldn't give an advice on how you would know what you're doing but you know like uh, you cannot but you know you can also do alchemy with like safer material um, but you know those people who i know who have died they're the ones who've been most dedicated to finding how to make gold so I guess, mm. in a sense, or, or immortality. Right. Because uh, yeah, that's also another lucrative. aspect. Yeah, the most lucrative. And when you are chasing that dream, you know, like uh, you can end up dead, you know. And many alchemists in the past have also died. I mean, like, and uh, they're kind of martyrs to science. I mean, I mean, how do we know how mercury or these other dangerous substances uh, why they're dangerous and how they're dangerous because people died, you know, we learned from their mistakes, you know? Yeah. So they're like he- heroes in a sense, I guess you could say. Dude, I'm very glad you brought that up um, as a final consideration because that really is another um, like kind of quintessential aspect of alchemical record. Like there was people, and that goes into the crazy part. There was people really branching out and doing all sorts of shit with mercury and other highly hazardous chemicals like a long time ago. And, um, you know, there's every case by case basis, but there's every reason to believe that aside from psychotropic chemicals, they were extracting and then ingesting a lot of like the fumes that they were just breathing in and like the poisoning of their alchemical experiments in an unventilated room probably caused them to have some interesting thoughts and visions as well. Yeah. Um, but um, I remember talking with a guy on a forum, a Fortean forum back in the day, um, where he uh he was he was talking about he's always interested in alchemy, and um he his father was a chemist, 
and his father had a, a, a chemist friend that was also a Rosicrucian. Um, and so growing up, they were always just, he was always hearing bits and they were telling him just crazy different stuff. And so he kind of got a knack and being the son of a chemist had shit laying around. So he would actually try and do this stuff from an early age. And he was like, I have no doubt. He's like, I'm thankful that I'm still functioning and still here because I have no doubt that I probably poisoned myself on a few different occasions. <laughs> so yeah, like it is a real Indiana Jones adventuring through the alchemical textbooks. If you're actually going to try and decipher what they were talking about on an experimental level, how much have you done of that, Alex? Uh, I, 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 uh, I've stayed away from the dangerous substance. I don't have a, a... I don't have a, I don't, uh, I often argue with uh, gold alchemists, uh, like why, why, what's the point of that? You know, you can't bring it with you when you die anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, I haven't really been into trying to discover how to make gold. Uh, so I've been more uh, on the other, on other path, more spiritual one uh, yeah. and trying to like improve that way. I, it hasn't been a monetary reason. Uh, or even immortality. Oh, I have had many long debates with these people who want to find the elixir of life and be immortal. But why would you want to be immortal? You know, like it's like having the same car for the, all your life. You know, like when the car gets old and doesn't work so much anymore, I mean, you get a new car. Like, you know, you get a new body or a new life. Why would you? I mean, you want the same one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be. It it would be a curse, I mean, right? That is part of the vampire forever. curse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want that. I mean, it could be fun, like maybe 150, 200 years. You know, maybe it could be fun, but you know, like come on, it's immortal. That's thousands of years. I mean, why would you want that? Yeah, that would be a nightmare. Fuck! Just watch the movie Highlander. Do you think that he had a great time the whole time? Fuck no! Come on. Yeah. That sounds bleak. Yeah, I would not want to be immortal. Um, but the I, thing I like it. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say. Um, I get the appeal on a on like a a quick grab, like a comfort grab sense. But I do, I really don't think I would like that. In the even if you gave me the option, I don't think I would take it. Exactly. The immortality. Yeah. And what I like about. Uh, what I like about uh, the alchemist, like uh, as as uh, an archetype, is that like you your humanity has been thrown into this strange world. Imagine like like a million years ago, like humanity became conscious. Like where are we? We're like we're in this nature. Like like uh, okay, we're in this world. Uh, uh, what shit can we make? Like let's find out what we can make. And yeah. like and, and 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 you go so far that you manage to make something that makes you break through and leave that world. Like you go to the next uh, like another dimension. I mean like that's that's high magic in my world. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah I guess yeah. you could say that alchemists are kind of like the spiritual MacGyver. You know, diffuse a bomb out of some bubble bubble gum and a paper clip and a rubber band. Um, you know that character, right? MacGyver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, this has been fucking awesome. This was a uh a, a real just like across the board conversation, keeping strict to alchemy, but we went in so many different directions. I I got like a burst of energy from that. So thank you very much for coming on the show, dude. This was a great time. Cool. Thanks a lot. Do you have any final comments for the listeners out there? 
it's been a slow process, but uh, I'll uh, very soon start releasing my History of Alchemy series. And uh, if people want to check that out, it, it starts pre-Big Bang and is supposed to end at present time. So I don't know how long it will be, but I'm trying to do it as detailed as possible, which is doing my head in because I got a bit <laughs> of an OCD, so I don't know when to stop. <laughs> Because oh it's man! Like I was like, oh, I need to, I need to stop somewhere because I, if I keep this up, I'm never going to get done. So I, I have to cut corners and just abbreviate more because I went way too detailed. <laughs> I feel you, man. Well, yeah, that sounds like such an undertaking. Um, God bless you, dude. You're doing the the Lord's work out there, trying to uh, format that into a digestible podcast. Um, output and i have no doubt that you'll be able to do it and i can't wait to hear them um so go check out the natural born alchemist podcast everybody um it's you know everywhere that you can stream anything um your website is just naturalbornalchemist.com right yeah right on all right man well thanks again so much um we'll get you back on uh the show before too long and uh chop it up some more dude you have a good day thanks and uh don't forget everybody you've been listening to black hoodie alchemy I'm Anthony Tyler. This is Alex of the Natural Born Alchemist as my guest. Y'all take it easy out there. Holy shit. Yo. I don't petty no pedophiles. See, that's hella foul. That was up to me, Garrett. You wouldn't get a trial. From the far west in Toronto, bringing that west now. Flow like the now. Better get flow like textile. Flow over into the beat. I can't be exiled. Gentile, war child. Walk in the streets with pen pal. Mighty lender sword. I'm getting these suckers like Jim Brown. All your utter stupidity. Duplicity. Hip hop hypocrisy. You product of the industry. Play the discography. My fans mean a lot to me. I got them all over the world. Do your geography. Due diligence, I do dividends, you do diddly I'm Barnatelli, your bigger belly, your little Italy Be little D's, little MC's, you in the little D's Literally, I put the fear in them with my soliloquy how many planets can I banish on one palm song? Singing the bandit, now the vote is the wrong song. The note don't match the spectrum off the pattern. Check all the accents off the planet, we all on. Dark shadow, you catalyst, no call to the call on. No owner, owe yourself till it's all gone. Surfing the love with a glove on. Raindrop city, clouds loud, get the puff on. Without a ditty dance in a trance, the city stands still till the stand kills. The measurement of rap skills, step to the war child. Sand deals, red and hills. Who the beat up when you cover you with the seat? Your vowels still you missing by your letters Now you stranded on E Cutting your trip short Fork in the road I'm a feast Graffiti hands keep the word up Following trends they turn up Till they veggies in a boil Rep across the map And say foil turn it into soil Strange universe Ill flows flood my newest verse sealed nowadays the human race Change the human curse A cash cow Seems it be runs the industry Metaphysically scientifically You a bitch and see I'm the epitome of slashing foes Kid bashing noses On trash and poses Rapping when they lack Focus blasting open Any microphone I'm past it's over Rats Jehovah Who battle acts for all the rats and cobras Not a drill From haunted hills to Victoria Conscious mind of the warrior Lyrical sword of slaughter You're dead up in jail Is there a heaven or hell? Don't bark shots and clutch shots Like Kevin McHale Ain't the words I know It's the world I know Wrapped up in rap lyrics So tight with words that flow Might spark ya Might charge ya The night stalker Graffiti write raw rhymes And leave your life alter The mic ultra Assimilate like White culture, you like vultures falling for the physical fate. Share the physical fate, you the visible fate. While my rhymes are more than lost in the digital state. state.